Would you turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37? It's in the Old Testament. Uh, you can find Ezekiel, find the 37th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. And today we are beginning a three-week pause on our uh, study through the book of Luke. Uh, this would be something we'll probably do every now and then if you're going to study uh, the a very long book of the Bible. Every now and then it'll be good to take a break so that when we jump back into Luke, you go, oh, Luke again, uh, rather than going, oh, Luke again. Uh, so we're taking a little bit of a break, but here's what, we're, here's what we're doing as we take this break. We're actually beginning a three-week series that every year we do a series like this. We simply call it our vision series. This series will lead up to what we refer to as Vision Sunday. And on Vision Sunday, we tell you the vision we share with the church, the, the vision that that we believe that God has given to us for the new year. And so uh, we're, we're going to be in two weeks sharing with you what we believe is a prophetic word that God has given to our church for the year 2024. And so we're really just priming the pump so that we can have the context for the thing that God is saying to us in this season. So with that said, our vision series for this year is rooted in one of the passages of Scripture that is foundational to our church, and that is Ezekiel 37, uh, specifically verses uh, 1 through 10. Forgive me that uh, I was going to go 1 through 4, but I decided to go all the way through 10, and then I didn't tell the media team. So the words will keep going, uh, and the numbers will keep building. It's just the tag on the beginning of the verse that lied to you, and that's my fault. So uh, with that said, Lord, I just ask you that you would help me to say clearly today what you want to say to this church as we begin this vision series and as we're still even beginning this year. Lord, would you say everything that you would want to say to us in 2024, uh, continuing what you have already started to say to us today and how you are preparing our hearts. Lord, would you continue to prepare our hearts? So Lord, we open our hearts and minds to hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel 37 is uh, a part of the story of the, the life and the ministry of this gentleman named Ezekiel. He was one of the prophets of God. And at the very beginning of the verse, it just jumps right in. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He's beginning to describe what he, well, we would refer to as a prophetic vision. God took him and showed him something that had deep and rich meaning. And so it says, it goes on, it says, uh, he led me all around them, the, the, the valley that was full of bones. He led me all around the valley. And there was a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Now, I, I would just like to propose to you that this is not a, a Disney moment, that this is this is something that's actually uh, the implication of which is death. The, the, the idea is that there was at one point a group of people who were alive and, and then the thing happened to them that meant that they weren't alive anymore. And it happened so long ago that they weren't just fresh dead people. It was a valley full of dry bones. This is utter hopelessness. That, that's the picture that God is showing to Ezekiel right now. Uh, then in verse 3, it says, then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives the response that is a wise response, which isn't just, no, look at them, which is the response your brain wants to give. 
when you see hopelessness. What he actually said was something incredibly wise. He said, Lord God, only you know. I love that he didn't just say, yes, name it and claim it. In, in the name of the coming Messiah, yes, they can live. Which would have just come off as arrogant and foolish and wild. He said, Lord, only, only you know. So he said to me, prophesy concerning to these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I was prophesying, or while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So this hopeless situation, the, the dry bones, suddenly becomes a bunch of dead bodies. So it's, it's, it's I don't know if it's more or less disgusting in this moment, but it's not good yet. It's incredible, but it's not good yet. In verse 9 it says, and he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breathe, or breath, come from, he's saying to the breath rather, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me, the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army, or in my favorite translation of that little phrase is the New King James Version, where it says, an exceedingly great army. And so we'll pause for today, for our purposes today, in verse 10. There's a little bit more to the story that you're welcome to continue to read. Uh, but for today, as I said, this has been a foundational passage of Scripture for our church. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the prophetic implications of this story. But today, I just want to lay the groundwork. I, I want to do something relatively simple with us today. And, and that is that I, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page about the, the general idea of prophetic ministry. Because God shows up and does this thing. He says something to Ezekiel and then Ezekiel is told to do something and that something is to prophesy. And I want to make sure that we all understand what it is that God is, God is saying to Ezekiel and, and what it is that, that God may be saying to us as well if we were to engage this idea of prophetic ministry. So my goal today really is to use this story about prophecy to help us have a foundational understanding of the nature and the purpose of prophecy. And then that'll help us to set the tone for next week as we begin to get into the nitty gritty, if you will, of this prophetic vision. So I, I wanna really just begin simply by defining the term prophecy. And so if we were to ask the question, what is prophecy? We have a, a bit of a working definition here at Life Church, which we say uh, the most foundational or simple definition of the word prophecy is saying what God is saying. Now, I'm going to try to unpack that for you just a little bit. Uh, but, but this actually could mean that if, if the fundamental or foundational element or, or function or definition of prophecy is to say what God is saying, 
you could make an argument that as I stood up before you this morning and read Ezekiel verse, uh, chapter 37, verses 1 through 10, that I was doing a function of prophesying. You could make an argument that if you believe that the Bible is God's word, that I stood up before you and read what God said to us, and that an element of prophecy, the fundamental definition of prophecy is to just say what God is saying. So reading the scripture out loud as a way to minister to other people is one of the functions of this idea of prophecy, or maybe you could say it's under the umbrella of what it means to prophesy. Again, to say what God is saying. Uh, I, I would say, though, that the gift of prophecy is not simply about reading or quoting Scripture, that there's something more to it than that. You could go further to say that Scripture is what God has said and that prophecy is what God is saying right now. As long as you understand that no pro pro prophetic word of what God is saying right now will ever disagree with what he has said, right? So like if anybody ever says anything that doesn't agree with what he has said, then he's not saying that right now because he wouldn't have said it because he isn't saying it if it doesn't agree with this, right? Okay, so with that in mind, we can see prophecy happening in the interplay between God and Ezekiel. God said to Ezekiel, say this, and then Ezekiel said this. It's really that simple. He just said what he heard. We could unpack that a little bit more if we want to talk a little bit more about prophecy and say that there are really two main categories of prophetic ministry. Prophetic ministry happens by something called a word of wisdom, and it also happens by something called a word of knowledge. Just so that we're understanding what these ideas are, a word of wisdom is a time where supernatural wisdom is gifted to a believer. So you have a question about what should I do in this situation, and a prophetic word of wisdom comes to you. Maybe directly God directly gives you a word of wisdom, and now you, oh, now I know what job I should take, or what city I'm supposed to live in, or what I'm supposed to do about this difficult situation. Uh, and that might be God telling you directly or telling you through another person who is prophesying to you. That's a word of wisdom. And a word of knowledge is God giving special information or knowledge that they could not have naturally known. So Joseph, for example, received a word of wisdom when he was told by God, hey, don't go back home and don't hang out where you are. Flee with your family, escape to Egypt because they're out to kill your son. That was a word of wisdom. It was, it was hey, go and do this, right? And so you can see uh, times where a word of knowledge might happen. For example, when Jesus is meeting a, a woman at a well and there's, a, a, there's information that he has about her life, about who she's living with and how many times she's been married. This is knowledge or information that he has. And so those are just a couple of the many, many examples that I could give you uh, from Scripture. But we could see that words of wisdom and words of knowledge, ultimately in this idea of this, this being the, the two main ways that prophecy happens, uh, we could also see that prophecy is about either foretelling or forthtelling. Uh, foretelling is telling about something that hasn't happened yet. So God, who exists outside of time, knows what is going to happen tomorrow, and he has the ability to tell you to tell me what is going to happen tomorrow. That's a foretelling prophecy. He's telling me before it happens. Does this make sense? 
Every, every prophetic promise about the Messiah coming in the future was a foretelling prophecy. Then there's a foretelling that I bring forth or bring to the foreword a word that God has said to a group of people to say what he's saying right now. This is usually a specific message from the heart of God for a group of people. Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 10 is a great example of this foretelling. Hey, tell these people, this is what I'm doing right now. Does this make sense? And so we see words of wisdom and words of knowledge and prophecy that is foretelling, and it is also forthtelling. So that is like the, the, the first point in a lecture on a full semester's worth of information on what prophecy is. Uh, and, and if you have more questions, buy me a cup of coffee. I love this topic. I would absolutely love to spend more time talking with you about it. But... Since there's pancakes ready for you at some point, let's move forward. Okay, so the, I think the, the next interesting question that we should wrestle with, not just what is prophecy, uh, but why do we engage prophecy? Like, why do, it's, there's, there's probably a, an element of, of some of us that go, prophecy feels weird. Can we just not do it? It just feels strange. Can we just avoid it, please? It's uncomfortable. I don't want to. I don't want to engage with this. But so let's let's begin to wrestle with why we would actually encourage you to engage with prophecy, or or not to hold it at arm's length. So Paul helps us in First Corinthians chapter fourteen. He writes about this starting in verse three. He says, "The person who prophesies speaks." to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I, I recognize that Paul just kind of threw out the idea of speaking in tongues right there in the middle of this, and that might lead you to a whole other set of questions. That's a completely different sermon. We have preached on speaking in tongues in the past. You can check that out on our YouTube channel. Uh, but I would just love to just kind of keep our focus here on what Paul is saying about prophecy. It's, it's common and popular to say that prophecy really serves three, a threefold function for the church. And that threefold function would be edification, exhortation, and comfort. Say those words with me just so that you, you understand. Prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Let me explain briefly what each of those words mean. Edification means to build something up. You hear Paul says here that a, a person who prophesies speaks for strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. So we see here that edification means to build up the people of the church to encourage, to strengthen us. Exhortation means to push or encourage forward. So the, the function of prophecy that is exhortation is, hey, God wants you to do something with your life. God wants you to do something with the gifts that he's given you. God wants you to do something with the, with the passion and with the gospel, the, the exhortation. It's the, it's the coach who stands up and prophetically says, God is telling you to go do this. Now go do it. It's exhortation. It's the hype man is the, is the sorry, I really felt like I just diminished that a lot now. I think you understand what I mean. It's the, it's the get off your butt and do something, right? That's the, the function of exhortation. So there's the advocation, build up, be strong. Uh, the, the exhortation, go and do the thing, stay, get unstuck. And then there's the comfort, which, by the way, prophecy isn't always comfortable and easy to hear. Sometimes prophecy is very correcting and challenging. 
But the end goal of prophetic ministry or any word from the Lord is always meant to drive us to Jesus, who is comforting. If we repent of our sins when a prophetic word might call us to repent for sin. And then we repent and we run right into the arms of Jesus who loves us and forgives us of all of our sins. The end goal of even the most uncomfortable prophetic word should be that we are comforted by Jesus. Amen? Okay, so uh, prophecy moves us towards Jesus. Now, there is a clarification that I want to make here, that if prophecy is meant to build up the people of God, then prophecy cannot ever be used to tear down the people of God. And there's some wisdom that needs to be practiced there if you were to get into functioning with prophetic ministry at some point or wondering whether or not I should receive a prophetic word. The question is always, does hearing this prophetic word help me to be closer to Jesus? Does it build me up? Even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, will it make me more like Christ? So a prophetic word will never come uh, that is a genuine, true prophetic word from God where someone comes in and says, thus saith the Lord, you're terrible. And then just like drop the mic and leave. You, you, you understand, I'm, like put, I'm trying to put that as much on the nose as I possibly can. Uh, the, the prophetic ministry of God might rebuke or, cor- or correct us, but it will never tear us down. It will always lead us to be being built up in Christ. Uh, we also, though, understand that prophecy, it's a gift for the church to build us up, but it's also a gift for the unbeliever. Uh, Paul actually continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you go down to verse 24... It says, he's talking about when people gather together. He's saying, if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Could you imagine a situation where somebody comes into an environment of of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they begin to say to this person, God knows the things that you are doing. Like words of knowledge saying, these are the things that you are engaged in. Not in a way to tear down, but to build up, leading to saying, God knows what you're doing, and he loves you anyway. Repent and receive forgiveness for your sins and come alive in Christ. And and Paul is saying, if you did that in the church, then people would be led to salvation. It's interesting that, I mean, if I were the devil, I would read that verse and say, oh, then I'm going to make it so that Christians feel prophecy is weird because prophetic ministry actually leads non-believers to salvation. And so let's make them think that prophetic ministry is super weird and they want to have nothing to do with it so less people will come into the church and get saved. And in many of our churches, mission accomplished. Whew. I know we've been having fun today. Sorry if I just stepped on your toes. Okay, let's take a look back at Ezekiel to to see how this begins to play out. We actually see this really, really clearly in verse 10, where it says, So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. So with all of this in mind, you could say that the purpose and function of prophecy is to say what God is saying so that people can experience life. The intention of prophetic ministry is so that you live, right? So that you come alive. Okay, so now, a third question can be answered about prophecy. Who can do it? Who gets to, who gets to play this game? 
In the Old Testament, the answer was almost nobody. Like a very small group of people could be prophets. It was basically how it worked in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. The Holy Spirit, it would say, would come upon a person and they would prophesy or minister. And then when that ministry was done, the Holy Spirit wouldn't necessarily still be upon the person. Now, there were some people that the Holy Spirit was upon them for their entire life in ministry. And those would generally be the key prophets of the people of God, like Ezekiel, for example. And then there's other moments where, like, Saul walks into the presence of the prophets and he begins to prophesy. Because he just, like, walks into the camp where the Holy Spirit was hanging out with these dudes. And he goes, oh, I guess I'll just, I, I'm just going to say the things that you guys are saying now it begins to prophesy and that was under the old covenant now under the new covenant things are a little bit different you see under the old covenant whoever the holy spirit was given to for that purpose in ministry that person could prophesy in that moment or in that season but things have changed because under the new covenant all christians have access to the holy spirit all believers in Jesus. In fact, Joel, an old covenant prophet, prophesied about this in Joel chapter 2. He was actually talking about God's call to repentance and his plan to save people, and then he wrote these words. After this, this is, says the Lord, after this I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. So Joel prophesied this in the, under the Old Covenant about a future time that he never got to see with his eyes before he, he died, where there would be no class divide between the people who could receive the Holy Spirit and could prophesy. In other words, he's saying, I'm living in a season now where very few of us can prophesy by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but there will be a day where anyone can do it. And so one day, a bunch of people were hanging out in a room. They had spent some time with Jesus. Jesus had died. And then he beat death. And he said, go hang out in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere until you receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. So Joel chapter 2 tells about a day that would come. And on a day, the Holy Spirit comes. For these people who were hanging out in the room where they were told to stay until they received the Holy Spirit. And we read about it in Acts chapter 2. And if you read the story in Acts chapter 2, it goes basically something like this. They're hanging out in the room. The Holy Spirit comes. There's tongues of fire over everyone's head. And everyone begins to prophesy or begins to speak in tongues rather. And then there's this crowd outside hearing all of the people. And one of them goes, these people are drunk. And Peter, one of the, of course, it was, gonna, it was always going to be Peter, who, who was going to stand up and like totally redeem him, himself and all of the wildness of his time hanging out with Jesus in person. And the first thing out of his mouth is he goes, these guys aren't drunk. It's too early in the morning. <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. Guys, even if we were trying, it's too early. So something else must be going on. And, and in answer to the, well, what is the something else that's going on if you're not a bunch of drunk, crazy people, Peter 
points back to the prophecy of Joel. In fact, he says in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 16, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on servants in those days, both men and women, and they will (gasps) prophesy. So Peter says that that day that Joel told us was going to happen, his foretelling prophecy is today. So I now say to you this foretelling prophetic declaration that that day is right now. It's today. Okay, maybe, maybe it's because it's 2,000 years later that that seems like a disconnected thing. There's, there's this idea as we begin to unpack what was actually happening there in that moment as the, the presence of God floods the earth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit suddenly becomes available to everybody who would place their faith in Jesus Christ. As Jesus, who is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit, sends the Holy Spirit. There's this, there's this idea here that is very clearly communicated to us in scripture that this kind of reality would continue until the end of the story until the last days and just so you know that is is a picture or it's pointing to to one other thing it's a forthtelling prophecy to say this ministry of the holy spirit will continue until jesus returns and wraps up the whole story now, it feels like we are getting closer and closer and closer to that. Like It feels like it could be tomorrow, and in some ways, I hope it's at least before the next presidential election. <laughs> but however long it takes, I just say to you that we undoubtedly are still living in these last days that Peter said they began today. It's the last days. It's come. It's the, it's the final outpouring of, of this this. this baptism, this ability to be charged by the power and the presence of God. And how will you know that you have received this power and this baptism? You'll prophesy. So, again, there's a, another, a million other things. I, I told Pastor Greg this morning because I knew how much stuff we were having in the service. I pulled four scriptures out of my sermon notes this morning that if I were to take all the time to tell you all of this other stuff, it would just continue to build this case. What I want you to hear today is this, that we're living in the season of prophetic ministry. And I don't say that in some kind of like neo-Pentecostal weird way to say like we're right now in 2024, I I decree and declare that we're in more of a season of prophetic ministry than we were in 2023. It's impossible. We're in the same kind of prophetic ministry that we were in since the day Peter stood up and said the season of prophetic ministry just began. It hasn't increased or decreased an iota since Peter stood up and said it was now. So what I'm saying to you is that the now that Peter said is now is still now in 2024. Because Jesus hasn't come back. When he comes back, I won't need prophetic ministry anymore. I won't need to hear what the Holy Spirit tells me that Jesus is about to do because he'll be like right there doing the thing. And he'll, he'll just take the lead. It'll just be on him. It'll be awesome. Until then, we have prophetic ministry. So Joel and Peter tell us who can prophesy now. Men, women, sons, daughters, masters, and servants. 
In other words, there is no class system and no gender system. There's actually only one requirement to be able to prophesy, and that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You could dig down a little bit deeper and say, well, we can make an argument that there's two requirements because you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit unless you are a follower of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're now eligible to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of you, every single one of us, there's nobody more special than anyone else who is, well, these are the ones who get filled with the Holy Spirit and can prophesy, and these are the suckers. And it's certainly not, well, these are the pastors and these are everyone else. There's no class system at all, period. You just believe in Jesus and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and now you can prophesy. Now, there's a whole conversation about whether or not you will prophesy. That's up to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and there's a whole conversation about whether or not we would call you a prophet, which is uh, like, a, like an office or a, a job title within the kingdom, which is different than being able to prophesy. Different sermon. Don't have time for that. Okay. Here's all I'm trying to tell you is if you are a Spirit-filled follower of Jesus, you can prophesy. You can. It's possible. So let, let me give you a really long-winded recap of all of this so that we can move towards an actual application here. here here's what we would say. This is, I, I feel like Paul this morning. Here's a run-on sentence. Okay. Prophecy is a ministry whereby followers of Jesus who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit are given specific insight, wisdom, or knowledge by the Holy Spirit that aligns with Holy Scripture and are then instructed and obedient to share what they have received with another person or group for the purpose of inspiring, encouraging, comforting, correcting, challenging, and building up the church as a church of Jesus as they respond to what they hear through the prophetic ministry. Let me just say that in a really simple way. To prophesy is saying what God is saying. So that people can live. This is, it's it. I can give you the run-on sentence, academic version, or I can just tell you this. If you're prophesying, you're saying what God is saying so that people can live. With all of that said, now we can unpack a super practical application for today from Ezekiel 37. So think back with me to the interaction between Ezekiel and God. Focusing specifically on what God tells Ezekiel to do. In verse 4, God says, prophesy concerning these bones. And in verse 9, God says, prophesy to the breath. He says, again, he says, prophesy, son of man. Now, admittedly, these might feel a little bit like odd instructions. You want me to say to a bunch of dry bones who have, who have been dead for a long time, you want me to speak to them? But with their bones, they don't have ears, God. You want me to speak to them? That sounds weird. Sounds a little strange. Okay. Then speak to the breath, or in one translation it says, speak to the wind. Wind also doesn't have ears. Might sound a little bit strange. But, but our, our application actually just comes from this. We'll, maybe we get in the next couple of weeks into a little bit more of the details of what God was telling Ezekiel to do and what that might mean for us as well in 2024. But our application just would come from Ezekiel's response. It's repeated in verse 7 and verse 10, which, which in both cases say, so I prophesied as I had been commanded. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. It's actually that simple. Ezekiel was told to prophesy. 
And so he did. What is this a picture of? Obedience. It's the thing you want your kids to say when you get home from work and say, did you do your chores? Did you clean your room? Did you brush your teeth? It's, it's actually that simple. Did you do the thing I told you to do? And in Ezekiel's case, in verse 7 and 10, we see that he did. I prophesied as I was commanded. Ezekiel teaches us this very important but simple lesson. When God tells you to say something, obedience requires that you say it. The implication of that, if you flip that, would be this. To not say what God tells you to say is disobedience. Just let that sink in for just a moment. Because I love you, I want you to hear that really clearly. If God has said for you to say something, and then you don't say it, that is disobedience. And friends, there is a one-syllable word that's a lot easier to remember for what that is actually called. That, my friends, is sin. Hey, did you clean your room? No. I really regret that because now you have to have a consequence. It was interesting, I'm a good dad if I give a consequence for sin to my children if they don't do the thing I told them to do, but I really want to be off the hook on prophecy. And I don't get to be. I don't get to be. So, remember, Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's important that we set this as a precedent for what I'm about to ask you, okay? Because you're not allowed to leave out of this room feeling any guilt or shame, at least none coming from me. All of it comes from the devil, and I hope none of it would come from yourself towards you. No one is trying to shame you, but I just wonder how you might answer this question today. Have you ever heard God tell you to say something? Have you? I mean, I'm looking around the room of people that I know that I've heard that God has told them to say something because some of you have said it to me. Thank you. Uh, just, just show of hands, by the way. Who would say, yeah, I, I think God has told me to say something. Okay, keep your hand up if you then said the thing that God told you to say. Sometimes, yeah. Like, Pastor Greg is like, nah. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. We receive your confession. <laughs> yeah, this is the reality, isn't it? I think I also say, yeah, I know that there are times where I know God told me to say a thing, and then I went, yeah, I don't know, Lord, right? And then there's other times where I go, oh, that one sounds fun, <laughs> right? I've told this story before talking about prophecy, but there was a time when I was praying for a young student who was graduating from Life Pacific University. My wife and I were standing in front of this young lady, and we were praying prophetically over her as we were charging and commissioning her into her life after graduating from Bible college. And the Lord told me to tell this girl, you are a potato. <laughs> I know. 
I know. We had a whole conversation, and because I've prophesied before and I've said some things before that I didn't quite understand, I said to this girl, I want you to know, as far as I can understand in this moment, that what I'm about to say to you from the Lord is from the Lord. I really believe this because this would not be a thought that would come into my mind. In no way do I think that God is talking to you about your physical posture or stature or the way you look or any of that. Uh, I, I don't think that God is saying you're bland and he really wants to like put some sour cream on your spiritual life or anything like that. I, I, I don't think that's what God is saying, but I just want you to know that I feel like God is saying to you right now, you are a potato. And because I've practiced this before, I knew what I should do in that moment is say, I'm saying that to you. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that mean anything to you? And believe me when I tell you that it was a nervous moment that I was having as this young lady's father was standing right here looking at me going, what are you doing? And I'm like side-eyeing this guy going, I'm not sure. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lesson in here, by the way, which if we had a lot of time, we would unpack like tips and rules for how to give a prophetic word and how to receive a prophetic word. Uh, but one of the things that it's really important to remember is that it's not up to me to understand what God is saying. Otherwise, I would have to be God, and I really don't want that job. So I didn't understand the thing about the potato. Just so you know, about five minutes of conversation back and forth, it turns out that there was a word there uh, that as we started talking about potatoes, and there's this film, a Christian movie called Faith Like Potatoes, and it, the lesson of that movie is that potatoes grow underground and you can't really see the life growing uh, on the potato because none of it actually pops up above the ground. You just have to have faith that the potato is actually doing the thing, even if you can't see it. And what it turned out that God was saying to this young lady was that even though it felt like she had been in a season of obscurity and God wasn't doing anything new and exciting in her life, that she'd been in a season of being under the ground and God was producing everything he had intended to produce in her life in that season. And that just like a potato, there was goodness and then it would come out and be something life-giving and beautiful. It turned out to be a good word. I mean, by the time we were done... You can clap for the Lord because he can redeem a potato prophecy. Yeah. By the time we were done with it, she was in tears because the Lord said, you're a potato. I mean, it's what God was saying. <laughs> when God tells you to say something, that if you say it, would produce more life if that person would receive what God says through you to them. Then I just would wonder, why would you not say it? And now for all of the people who didn't raise their hand, I just want you to know it's okay. I'm about to, I'm about to tell you something. You were wrong. You were wrong. And so the next time someone asks you this question, has God ever said anything for you to say, you can just shoot your hand up and go, yep, I, I absolutely know that God has told me to say something. Can I prove it to you? L let me prove it to you. Okay. Now, in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, it says, this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will, be, will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What do we call this? What Paul is writing here is good news. There's a word for that, right? We call it the gospel. It's the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the good news that the gospel of Jesus Christ is Jesus did all of the work and all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. But Paul's not done writing. He tells us something really, really important here, starting in verse 14. He says, how then can they call on him if they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher. And how can they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now, the word that trips us up here is in verse 14, the very last word of verse 14, when we see the word preacher, because our brain in the American Western church tells us that that word preacher is Tim and not you if you're not me, like if you're not a pastor of a church, if you're not a preacher. And the problem with that is that the job description preacher didn't exist when Paul was writing this. We've turned it into a vocation that I do this as a, as a part of my, my job within the church. And there's something beautiful about that and, and, and wonderful. And we can unpack all of the structures of the church in a different conversation at some other time. I just want you to understand that when Paul wrote the word preacher, he wasn't talking about the like one out of every two or 300 people. He was talking about the person who shares the good news. Kristen Esmerly is a preacher, not because she stood up here and gave one of the best sermons on the fivefold ministry that I've ever heard in my life. That's not what made her a preacher. The willingness to open her mouth and just share the good news of what God is saying makes her a preacher. My friend Jose was telling me that there was some guys that he knows in the community and guys that he works with that just periodically he'll just tell them about Jesus. That's called preaching the good news. Yes? So, how can they hear without a preacher? Has God ever told you to say something? Yeah. We, we have a name for that too. It's called the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples. Friends, you might never in your entire life. I pray that you do because it's a wonderful experience if you get to the other side of a potato prophecy. I, I, but it is, it is within the realm of possibility that you meet Jesus on the other side of this life and are never the recipient of a word of wisdom or word of knowledge. I mean, if you're open to everything that God has for you in the kingdom, I, it's unlikely but it's possible that you never give a prophetic word in your life that is like a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. But I say to you that if the ministry of prophecy at its foundational level is to say what God is saying, tell me something God is saying that's more than Jesus saves. Tell me anything that is more profound than the gospel. And now try to prove to me that God is not still saying the gospel. 
And so Jesus said to you, go and speak. And so Ezekiel, as we begin a story uh, or a couple of weeks of looking at, at Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10, a little bit further next week, actually, as we begin to look at this over the next couple of weeks, to hear what God is saying to us, the very first thing I want you to hear as we begin this year, as we begin this series, and we begin a journey together on this next leg of life together as a church, here is what God is saying to us. Speak. Speak life. Speak the gospel. Tell the truth. You're hired. You're commissioned. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're supercharged and you have everything that you could ever possibly need to declare the good news of Jesus. And if you just start there with faithfulness, I have every reason to believe that God would say, oh, I can trust you with the gospel. I'll trust you with a potato prophecy too. God, would you speak to your church? As we begin a new year, would you speak to your church? We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of prophecy, which in its, all of its dynamic way and all of its simplicity is simply just to hear what you are saying to us today for the purpose of us coming more alive. God, thank you for the reminder that this is all tied into your mission, that you said that the devil comes and steals and kills and destroys, but you have come that we would have life and have it overflowing and abundant. God, help us to be people who would hear what you would say to your church. And then, God, help us to be obedient. We believe that you speak to your people. We know that your desire then is to speak through us so that others can be brought to life in you. God, would you give us an overwhelming passion for those who are not yet alive in Christ? Let it begin here. Let the prophetic ministry of Life Church come to a new life as we are overwhelmed with a passion for those who are not alive. And fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can hear your voice and speak on your behalf. God, would you use our lives to minister to others to bring glory to your name? And as we begin a year together, committed to hearing God and saying whatever it is that God is saying, may you be filled with the Holy Spirit. May your spiritual ears be open to hear the voice of God. May your heart be filled with courage to speak what you hear, and may your mouth speak life that bears eternal fruit. I pray this blessing over you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.